You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're wrapping up uh, our series in 2 Peter. I hope that you've gotten a lot out of this book. I know that I have. I've really enjoyed being able to walk through uh, a book of the Bible with you, word for word, idea for idea, and really just seeing what the Scripture has to say today. Peter is going to wrap this letter up, and it's kind of his last words. Uh, he's, he's come to the end of his ministry. He's had a very impactful ministry. I mean, he started out as just a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, and he'll make his way and become a disciple. He'll be the disciple that puts his foot in his mouth constantly, getting himself in trouble. But then he has this experience in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit just comes down on him and he's never the same. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit touches you, that's the end of it? Like you're never, ever, ever the same. Changes everything. And when the Holy Spirit hits Peter, he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. I mean, they come to know the gospel of Jesus because they hear it so clearly. And Peter moves through and he becomes the, the leader of the church. And he's helping it grow. He and Paul go on a little journey for a little bit until they... They take their, their separate ways, but the church grows, and Peter continuously pushes in, encourages, warns, and equips the body of Christ all throughout his life. And here we are in 2 Peter, and we, we talked about in the first week, he, he was really just pushing us on this idea of the knowledge, that we need to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And when he said knowledge, remember, he wasn't talking about our knowledge of, of intellectual knowledge, he was saying that this knowledge that we have only comes through spending time and experience with Jesus. That, that I want you to grow in the knowledge that comes from spending time with your Father and, and hearing from Him, learning from Him, and then the application of actually doing and being obedient in the things that He's called us to do. And then He warns us in the next week, because He's building this letter, it's all just one big build, and He says, that we need to be very careful that there are false teachers out there that are teaching things that are shiny, sound good, look good, but they're not the gospel. And the only way for you to be, be able to identify a heresy or a false teaching or a false teacher is if you've been in the scriptures and been with Jesus, you would recognize it very quickly that these things aren't of God. And I like to say if you can't picture Jesus doing it, we probably shouldn't, right? It's, it's a pretty good practice to do. And today, as he wraps this letter up, I've entitled today's message, Remember to Remember. Because he's going to go back and he's basically going to tell us, you need to remember some things. Like, I don't know about you, I have the worst time remembering things. And, and I, I would like to blame it on age, but I don't think it's age. I'm not there yet. I just think that, I just don't remember things very well. Anybody else on me? Like, you go to the grocery store for your spouse. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You go to the grocery store. You're supposed to pick up one item. You leave with 10 because the Oreos were buy one, get one free, right? Oh, well, I'm going to need a packet out and four of these. And then you get home and you unpack in the groceries and you realize, whoops, I was supposed to grab milk, the one thing that I was supposed to go and get, right? Isn't it like that in Home Depot too? You go in Home Depot to get a pack of screws, you leave with a jacuzzi, right? That's the way it is. We have this tendency to forget. Like, I think about going on a trip, you know, last minute. I remember when we went to Israel, I waited to the night before to pack because I like the thrill of just, can I get everything in one bag 
and do I have everything that I, it's just a journey, why pack weeks in advance when you can like really confuse your life? But isn't it true that when you're rushing to pack, there are things that we use every day. You've got to have your toothbrush. You've got to have your deodorant. You're supposed to have clean underwear for every day. And then you get on the trip, and it never fails. You've forgotten something. Something that's essential. Something that you use every day. You get up every day, brush your teeth, but yet you go on the trip and pack and realize you don't have a toothbrush. Right? That's an essential thing. It is so easy for us to forget the essential things in, in everyday life, then how much easier is it for us to forget the essential things of the gospel? To be reminded. Because when, when tragedy hits, when we're walking through hard times, it is really easy for us to forget that Jesus is in control. Because we get so distracted and last minute trying to pack everything else in that we miss the essential thing that Jesus is in control. And so there's this thought from Peter is that I need to remind you because you got to remember to remember because if you forget these things, you're going to be off target of what God has called us to do. So he's, he's bringing us and putting us into focus. Wouldn't you agree with me that perspective is everything? We can watch the same thing. Like I watched the Carolina football game last night. We have different perspectives on that. Many of you would say, y'all lost. I would say, we had moral victory last night. They didn't score a thousand points on us. It's perspective. It's how we look at it, right? Every situation that we come up against is our perspective of how we view things. It's, you, you can take bad situations, and you don't, you don't undermine it or, or think that these things aren't important, but it's the way that we frame things and see it through the gospel helps us to be able to move through and process some of the things that we have. And so Peter is saying, here, let me help you out. I'm going to give you this framework for you to be able to remember when times come, when you forget about things that we remember. Because here's the problem, that we suffer from gospel amnesia, that we are so quick to forget that God is in control. Because we can let one tweet, one Facebook status, one news headline throw us off from what God's called us to do, that we forget that he is ultimately in control. And so in, in 2 Peter 3, he, he's, he's pushing us and saying, do not forget. Because we're living in this urgency of living versus waiting on Jesus to return. And, and oftentimes we get so caught up in the urgency of just living that we forget that he's coming back. And I think a lot of times we, it's not that we forget, but Jesus coming back kind of scares us just a little bit. Like, what's going to happen? I remember when I watched the movie Left Behind with Kirk Cameron. Y'all remember that series that came out? I was scared to death. I heard of a church, uh, the, the youth, the youth pastor had to go do something, and the youth were like, hey, we just watched this movie Left Behind, we should get them. So they all went and changed clothes, took the clothes they had on and folded them all over the campground, and they all hid to make the youth pastor think that Jesus had come back and he had been forgotten. It's like, yeah, every one of y'all walking home, that's how that works. We forget he's coming back. And, and that's, that shouldn't be scary news for us. That should be good news, that he's coming back. But in the meantime, we've got to, we've got to balance this waiting and living in the urgency. And how do we, how do we wait 
and live at the same time. And, and this is what Peter's going to tell us. This is the overarching theme. That we're going to be able to live in this tension by not forgetting and living with urgency. Because when we live with urgency, the more that we think about the second coming of Jesus, the more urgency we should have to share the gospel. Because he's coming back. So let's look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says that this is now the second letter. So how many letters? So he didn't get everything he wanted in part 1. So I'm going to have to write you part 2 because you need to be reminded of some things that came out of part 1. And he, Because he understands that we suffer from gospel amnesia. We just forget. He says this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And I want you to pay attention to that word, by the way. Beloved. Beloved. As in, God loves you. You're, you're his. He, he loves you. Remember when God said, I am? If you break that down grammatically, what that truly comes down to is that be loved. Be loved you. God loved you. So he's reminding them of who they are. He said, now this is the second letter that I'm writing you. Beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. So I'm stirring up your mind by way of reminder. So he's saying, I'm trying to get you to think on the things, and the way I'm going to get you to think on the things is I've got to, I've got to remind you of some things that we've discussed. So I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing that this, first of all, that scoffers, the mockers, they're going to come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful, sinful desires. And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And he says, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We take that whole thing. And we would bring it down to this one summary. Don't forget. Don't forget that he is coming back. There are going to be people that are going to question that. There are going to be people that think that's a crazy thought. They're going to mock you for it. And, and the, the scoffers are the people within the church that he's talking about. And he says, but don't forget. He's, when he talks about the fathers, he says this. And, and this is not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 24. He says, for as, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, what happened with Noah? I mean, Noah tried to tell people, there's a storm coming. They're like, no, this is the desert. It doesn't do that here. It doesn't flood here. It might rain every once in a while. It doesn't flood. He says, for as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He says, for as in those days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were living life. They were enjoying life. But they were not hearing from God. They were not taking the warning of, Moses, of Noah seriously. And he says that until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. Unaware. That the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Lord. We get so caught up in talking about the second coming of Jesus, that people haven't even heard the first coming of Jesus. 
okay? And we can, we can draw out diagrams and we can fill up a board of guesses and pictures and Israel and the third temple and animal sacrifice. We can do all that. But that doesn't mean anything if somebody has never even heard of Jesus. We've got to proclaim the gospel. Because our urgency of knowing that Jesus is coming as a follower of him should drive us to tell people about his first coming so they can celebrate the second coming. It's about our drive. It's about our urgency as believers. This is why we say as a church that we exist to introduce people to Jesus. Not to introduce him to our church or to our ideas or to our, our, what, our small group. We exist to introduce people to Jesus because that's where life change happens. That's the story that we want to tell. We want to tell. And so he says that the Son of Man is going to come back. Everything has an expiration date. Everything. You and I have an expiration date. We don't want to think about that, but isn't it true? And we don't know when that is. But we have an expiration date. This world is fading away every day. It's, it's decaying every day. We, we see it right in front of us, don't we? I never would have thought that the things that my kids are, are exposed to and having to live in would have ever been a possibility. I mean, you remember we were growing up, especially if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have a whole lot of issue, right? We, we were enjoying Fraggle Rock, Muppet Babies. You know, some of you were on Blue's Clues later on. Which, did y'all see the Blue's Clues video with Steve? I didn't even watch Blue's Clues, and it made me cry. But and it, it, it doesn't take much for make me cry, I guess. But we grew up in this world where the, the problems that we're facing today were not issues with us. It's just, it should just be a reminder that we are expiring. The world is fading away. It was not made like this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created, he looked on his creation and he said, it is good. This is good. Everything was working the way that it was supposed to. Do you realize in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, there was no sickness. There was no one dying of cancer. There was no COVID. There, there was no, because the bodies were working the way that they were supposed to work. Adam and Eve never got in an argument in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. There was never an argument. It wasn't until Genesis chapter 3 where she takes a bite of the apple and Adam is watching and then when he sees it, she looks fine, he takes the bite and sin enters the world and now we have started the process of fading away. Y'all remember, we used to have a right knee and a left knee. Now I got a good knee and a bad knee, right? Like when I used to go and play basketball or try, I, would, I didn't have to do anything. I just got on the court and just ran. I'm at the age now that I have to stretch before, during, and after, take ibuprofen before and after, and for three days after that so my body doesn't hurt anymore. Right? It's a sign that, that we're, we're in this, this expiration like we're fading. But listen, listen to what Isaiah says. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but what? The word of the Lord stands forever. There is no expiration date with the Word of God. Why do we not put our hope in that? 
Why do we not put all of our time in that? When Isaiah is telling us, he's prophesying, this word will not fade. Everything else around us will. Hold tight to the word. Hold tight to the word. Isn't that the whole thing that Peter's been saying the entire time? Hold on to the word of God. Because it has no expiration. It will stand for all of eternity. The problem is, is that sometimes we read the word of God for information and not transformation. And here's the problem. When we read the word for information, it doesn't do anything. I read the newspaper for information. But when I approach the Bible, I walk away believing that the Holy Spirit is going to do something great in my life for him, for him to get all the glory and honor and praise. Because it's about the way that you approach it. And if we truly believe that the Scriptures, the Word of God, will stand forever, then we need to approach it that it will transform everything about us. You're following, tracking what I'm saying this morning. you, you got to understand and see it with perspective. And this is what Peter's trying to tell us. You need to understand this Word's not going anywhere. Put your life on it because I did. Be transformed by God's Word. We have to approach God's Word for transformation purposes. I want to throw a question out to you, and I want you to hold this question because I'm going to come back to it here in just a few minutes. But I want you to be processing it. What is the Holy Spirit telling you right now? Now, you write that down and hang on to that. I'm going to come right back to it. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? Because that's how we approach with transformation. And he says this. I read this quote this way. I thought it was great. We need to study the Bible like a warrior on a mission. Not as a scholar. But as a war, like, I know that what I read today is going to change my life and potentially change somebody else's. Because what God's going to do with me in my private time with him is going to overflow into everything else that I do today. That's the transformation. If we understand that we're on mission, that's living with urgency. Living with urgency. I would ask, like, when, when life cuts us, do we bleed the Word of God? Do we bleed the Word of God when life cuts? Because that's the thing that you've got to run to. If, if you run everywhere else to try to, to understand everything else, you just, it leads to confusion. But God says, I'm not the author of confusion. So when we look at it through the lens of the Scripture, we shouldn't be confused. Because we understand that life in the world is happening the way that it is because everything has fallen apart because it's not working in the design that God created from the very beginning because sin has come in and corrupted everything. But there's good news. Jesus came to redeem us. And not only did he come to redeem us and, and to forgive those sins and to cleanse us of those sins, but he's going to come back one day and we're going to go to heaven and we're not going to sit on a cloud and play a harp all day because I just believe that Jesus has more for us than that. But we're going to one day behold face to face the very man that we're talking about right now. One day. And, and I don't know... People say, I'm going to ask all these questions. I'm going to tell you, I don't think I'm going to be asking any questions in heaven because I'm going to be in such awe of this guy that I've poured my life into and believed in and who has given his life so that I could have a relationship with him. I think I'm going to be speechless. And that's a big deal for a pastor, to be speechless. But I believe it's going to happen. We, we've got to get to the point with the word, not be legalistic in it and feel like I don't read it 15 hours a day. 
just get in the Word some way, somehow, if it's just for a few minutes, because I believe the Holy Spirit can do more in one second than we can do in a lifetime. Just get in it. I don't care if you have to physically read it and hold a book. I don't care if you have to listen to it. Get the Word of God in you. Because whatever you put in the well will come back up in the bucket. Right? And so the Word of God has to be read for transformation. It amazes me that we can often look at Jesus and not really see Him. Not really see Him for who He is. Like We just see Him, but we don't really see him. Peter had this, this issue when, when they asked him, do you know this man? And Peter said, I don't, I don't know him. And he denies him three times. I don't believe that he was denying on the fact that he was scared that he was going to be killed. I believe if you follow the story of Peter, because this is a life-changing moment when he said, listen, I thought I knew the guy because I thought he was going to usher this kingdom in and we were going we to go after the Romans and we are going to kick the Romans out of this kingdom and, and the Israel was going to have its place again. That's what I thought was going to happen. But when I chopped that guy's ear off, rather than starting the revolution, Jesus made a miracle out of it. I don't, I don't know that I know the guy the way that I did. And then his whole life changes because he realized who Jesus really was. You can be close to Jesus and not walk with Jesus. And if you read the scripture for information and not transformation, you're not walking with Jesus. You're just close to him. And, and we have been called to be on mission, and being on mission means that we go. He says in Matthew 28, we go and make disciples. You can't make disciples and stay still. You've got to move. And it's, it's interesting. We look at Judas. Judas is one of the disciples. What happens with Judas? He doesn't make it. He, he's, he's a problem all the way through. Jesus is with Judas. Judas has walked with him. Judas has learned everything. Judas has seen every miracle that has happened. He was there from everything. But will betray him. And the devil will fill him as he leaves the table that night to go and get his money to throw Jesus to the wolves to be killed. Judas is just an example of how he walked with the word, but he never loved the word. And you can be close to it, and you can get information, but if there's no transformation. Did you know that Hugh Hefner grew up in a Christian home? Did you know Joseph Stalin went to seminary? Both proofs, both proofs that you can be close to the light and not be in the light. And I don't want us to be fooled thinking that we check all these things off a list. And we're close to God, but we're not walking with God. That's transformation. Transformation. Because you and I cannot outsource the relationship that we have with Jesus. I can't, I can't let my parents' faith, I can't lean on that for me. I can't outsource my relationship. It, it's something that I've got to do. It's between me and Jesus. You need God's word in order for you to cultivate your relationship with him. This is the knowledge of being with him and learning from experience. When we're in the word and it's, it's transformation is happening, we are blocking the possibility of gospel amnesia from taking place, of us forgetting what Jesus has called us to do because we're with him and we're reminded of it daily, of his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his calling that he's placed in our lives. Amen? Okay, well, make sure you're still with me because gospel amnesia 
will have us living like Jesus is not coming back. Yeah, the world's getting worse and worse and worse. But the church has the hope and the message to redeem and to heal the broken places. That's what we've been called to do. It used to surprise me growing up in church when their pastor would talk about the second coming of Jesus and he would say, you know, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. And people are like, amen, amen. I'm like, what, what? Why don't we amen and the world's getting worse? Like you're 90 years old. You're probably not going to be around much longer. I'm only 15. I've got a while to go. I don't want this thing to get worse. But they're praying for it to get worse. And it always confused me. Until I got in the Bible and realized they forgot the mission. Because Jesus says, let the wheat and the tear grow up together. He said, don't take the tares out. Because if you take the tares from the wheat, you end up pulling the good stuff out. Let it grow up together, because in the end of time, God will separate the wheat and the tares. Now, how do we, how do we grow in wheat? We get in the Word. And we let Jesus grow us. He is the farmer. It's his soil. Here's the, the second thing. I want to read these verses. Second um, Peter, starting in verse 8. He says... Do not, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. There's your reminder again. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow. Okay, you got me? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but his patience toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should have repentance and and here's here's how this is going down peter is answering the scoffers are going things are getting worse and worse and worse where's your jesus at where's he at and peter goes let me tell you why he hasn't come back yet because of his mercy and his grace because he wishes that none perish and he's patient and see they thought when jesus said i'm coming back When we say that, we're thinking it on our level of time, aren't we? We live in 24-hour time periods. We all get the same amount of time. God's going, I don't live in a 24-hour time period. That's not the way that works. Can I just tell you this, that the Lord is not worried about time? He's not worried about time. God is eternal, which means God sits outside of time. He created time. He's not controlled by time. I'd say it this way. God doesn't own a watch. Doesn't need one. God is not concerned about our time. God is more concerned about his timing. And his timing is, I haven't come back yet because I am giving, I'm giving some time for the church to do what it's been called to do because people need to hear the gospel message. There's the urgency And this is my compassion and my grace for people. I am slow to come back, as some would think slow, but the reason I have not come back is for the people. Because I want all people to know. But there's a day that this world has an expiration date, and he's coming back. And he's coming back. So he says in verse 9, we're going to get there, hold on. He says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He says the reason God delays his whole coming, his compassion, his love for his people, he's not trying to rush this. 
He's slow to return because he's wanting so desperately to pull people in and to have a relationship with him. Did you know there are 3.14 billion people in the world that are considered unchurched? 3.1 billion people. And they pulled that number and they did, they did some research on it. And they found that mission work, mission work, only 23.7% of mission work is targeted towards the unchurched. 23%. What are we doing the rest of it? The rest of the mission work we're doing is not working because it's not focused on the unchurched. We, we missed the boat. Do you, you know, if we took two square blocks in Manhattan, New York, and, and at, the, at the rate of conversion that people convert to Christianity and the amount of money that we spend, did you know it would take five years to convert two blocks in New York City of Manhattan and it would cost us around 15000 per convert. $15,000 per convert. You know how much it costs the disciples? Zero. Zero marketing budget. All they had was the Holy Spirit and the word of their testimony. Because they lived with urgency that Jesus was coming back. And they, they, they wanted to make sure that people knew. Listen, the church is a hospital for sinners. And we're a refinery for the saints. That's what we exist for. Like we, we, we want people to come in here. That's why we say you don't, have to you don't have to believe to belong here. It's fine. We will journey that with you. We just want you to get to know the Jesus that lives in us. We could even say it this way, that the church is not a cruise ship. It's not a cruise ship. It's not just somewhere to come and hang out and enjoy. It's not a battleship. I would say together church is an aircraft carrier where we send people out for mission. And we send them out and they come back, we send them out and they come back, we send them out. That's what the church has been called to be. You and I have to invite people. The world is often more open to hearing the gospel than we are with sharing the gospel. And I even read this this, this week that 82% of unchurched people will attend your small group or come to church if you just invited them. 82%. That's a good rate. Like if I was asking a girl to the prom, they told me there's an 82% chance. I'm taking that. <laughs> taking it. My luck, it would be on the other side, but it's okay. It's an 82% chance. So you're saying there's a chance. We have to invite people to Jesus. To Jesus. That's what we've been called to do. Because when we remember his mercy, that's what drives us to share because we remember what he's done in our lives. Now, I, I, told, I gave you a question a minute ago. And I asked you, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? I'm going to pause my message for about two minutes. And I want you to ponder that question for the next two minutes. And you can talk to the person beside you, but I want to ask you this because I believe that faith comes from, from talking, from hearing. And we got to get this stuff out. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to be very vulnerable. And if, you're, if you'd like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Write it down. Take two minutes and answer this question, and then we're going to finish this message. What is the Holy Spirit telling you right now? What's he telling you right now? Take two minutes.
So as that, as that settles with you for a minute, and I know that's completely different from anything we ever do, but I think sometimes we just sit in here and don't speak. And I think if we took moments to start speaking and thinking through and, and confessing these things with people, these, those are called obedience points. When the Holy Spirit is telling you something, he's going to tell you how to, how to follow through with that. Okay, I want to I want to wrap it up right here. I want to give you one more point, a couple of verses, and, and I want to let whatever the Spirit is telling you to continue to work in you for just a minute. But in verse ten, he says this: "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." And he says, "Since all these things are thus to be dissolved." What sort of people are you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? We're waiting and we're hesitating and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which his righteousness dwells. Come on, somebody. In which his righteousness dwells. All this goes away and he we get brand new. He, he says he's coming as a thief. None of us prepare our house and we don't set out cookies and milk waiting for the thief to come. And he says he's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be quick. But he's coming and he's going to take us home. And, he, and so he says, what sort of people are we to be as we're waiting? And he tells us this, that we're to be blameless and holy when he comes. Because he is coming for his bride. And I've never met a groom and a bride who were scared to see each other on their wedding day. They're waiting and anticipating that bride coming, and the groom is there, and the unity of marriage happens. And, and that's what he's telling us here. Peter's saying that this, this place that we're in right now, this is not our home. Do not get comfortable. You do not go to motel rooms and put up pictures of your family and, and decorate the whole motel room. Why? Because you're going to check out. Don't get comfortable. This is not home. I'm just temporarily staying here. This earth is not home. We are temporarily staying here. But while we're here, we're on mission. While we're here, we've been called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus so that he can restore things back to the way they're supposed to be. And he says, so we're, we're just passing. We're passing through. We're just waiting. We're waiting. But as we wait, we live with urgency. Last verses right here in verse 14. He says, therefore, what's the next word? Beloved. Because what he's doing is he's telling you to remember your identity. Remember your identity. Because in this world, if you're not paying attention, the world will identify who you are. Because we tend to be identified by what we do, who our family is. But, but he's saying your identity is not in the things that you do and the people you hang out with. Your identity is found only in Christ Jesus. And he's saying you need to remember your identity. This is why he says if you remember the word and you remember mercy, the identity thing is not a problem because you, knows, you know exactly who you are and who you belong to. And, and he says this. He says the key is that, the beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot and blemish. And you ready? At peace. A lot of us are not at peace. We're so concerned and worried and living in fear every day. 
He says that you need to be found spotless and at peace. When he, where's that peace come from? It only comes from him. You don't have to understand why things happen the way they happen to have peace. Paul says that he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. And here we go. He says, and count, count out you know, your spot is, you're spotless, your blemish, you're at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given. And as he does in all these letters, when he speaks of them, as all matters, he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Would you all agree with him? He's saying there's some things in this book that are hard to understand. I don't get Leviticus. Just being honest with you, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I, I don't get it. I, there are a bunch of rules that just, I, here's, what, here's my whole thing of Leviticus. There's a bunch of rules showing how much I need God because if I had to do it by myself, it couldn't happen. And he says, there are some things in them that you, are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. He's pointing fingers at the false teachers. He says, as they do by other scriptures, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, he says, take care that you are not carried away with the era of lawless people and lose your own stability. Here's the key verse right here. But you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and and to the day of his return. Amen. Now his last reminder is Jesus is coming back. The key is he says you need to grow in grace and knowledge. You can only grow in grace and knowledge by spending time with him and in his word. He says he's giving you this grace. When we think about the coming of Jesus, this is what drives our urgency of sharing the gospel. Do you remember in 2009 we were faced with another type of mini pandemic with the swine flu y'all remember h1n1 when swine flu hit good morning america wanted to see how good a fifth grade class would be at washing their hands they also included the teacher so they put this um they put this invisible lotion on their hands that the kids couldn't see but it was there it was going to trace some things because they wanted to know how well they do at washing their hands to stop the spread of the swine flu. So at the end of the week, or at the end of the day, they checked under UV light the hands of these kids. Two out of 25 washed their hands. Shocker. Then they thought, maybe we should take the UV light and put it on their face. And there were handprints all over their face, and the lotion's on their face, and it's all over their arms, and then they saw it on people's backs, and it was like, they can't keep their hands to themselves. It was interesting, too, because they noticed that the, the teacher also still had the lotion on her hands, that she had never washed her hands. And so they find lotion all over the place. And, and what, they, what they realized was that people... People couldn't identify what they couldn't see. They didn't know. You and I, we can't wash away what we can't see. We can't wash away what we can't see. Jesus said that we have sin in our hearts that we cannot see, but ultimately we can't be perfect. So we have to have Jesus come and, and help us meet the standard for which we've been called. So Jesus says, trust in me, and I'll cover your sins and give you eternal life. And so... We're to be found spotless and blameless, but we can't identify what we can't see. Jesus sees our shortcomings. And here's the good news with that. He makes up the distance. 
who makes up the distance. So if, if you're here this morning and you, you don't have a relationship with you, you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you about the first coming, that Jesus came to, to bridge that gap so that we could have a relationship with God, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could live forever with him, our Father, in, in a world that is designed to do exactly what it's supposed to, where he gets all the glory and the praise. And there's nothing greater than that. And if you don't know him this morning, there's no magical prayer. There's, there's no, I got to say all these fancy words or do all the, no. You just need to tell him that you need help and you need rescue. And we want to help get you connected to, to one of our small groups where life change really happens to connect with other people. We want to pray with you. So would you pray with me as we get ready to close this morning? Father, I just pray for every person in this room that if there are those here who have never accepted you as Savior and as Lord and following you, I just pray this morning that they would just ask you to rescue them. That you would rescue them. And I just thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. And we thank you for your return. We thank you that you're coming back. But until then, I just pray that we would live a life of urgency and proclaim the gospel and everything that we say and we do. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.